some glad morning when this life is o'er, fly away. Good morning, all. Let's uh, gather together and do some singing and yes. worship the Lord. We're going to start with forever. Give thanks to the Lord. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service. And just a quick announcement. Operation Christmas Child has invited us to be drop-off location. And if you are interested in helping, please sign up for more information. We have a sign sheet is on the back wall. So if you're interested to help, please sign up so that we could know. And to our guests, if this is your first time or you've been with us, we encourage you to fill out our guest registration card. So, uh, shall we open a word of prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity where we could come to you. We believe, Lord, that you are a sovereign God, that nothing happened by chance, but everything happened in accordance to your will and your ways. And Father, we ask that you will sanctify our hearts, Lord, as we worship you. We ask for forgiveness 
we ask for uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and mind as we worship you, Lord. And Father, help us to be courageous as what your word says. Our suffering is light and temporary and producing for us an eternal glory that is greater than anything that we can imagine. Lord, life is tough without you. And apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. And Father, Lord, we ask that you will help us, dear God. And Father, we ask that you will bless our time together as we sing and listen to your word. Help us, Lord, not to leave this place unchanged, but to be more, uh, become your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because we believe that this is the purpose of being a Christian, not just like, not just going to heaven instead of hell, but it is your desire for us to be conformed in the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord. And we believe it's only by your grace and mercy. In Christ we pray. Amen. Mama. <laughs> okay. The women's retreat this year is the silver anniversary of the women's retreat. It's going to be in Green Valley, and I know that some people have a little bit of a trouble getting down there. So I decided that I was going to take as many people in my car as I could. So if you have not registered because you do not have a ride, I have two seats. And the registration forms are in the office and Beth can get those to you and they're supposed to be in by the 11th. So if you get it done soon, you get it for $15 instead of 20. <laughs> Thank you. Hi everyone. For the last several weeks, we've been asking you to collect school supplies for our back to school shindig. Um, what we really need you to do at this time is not bring them in, but there is a sheet in back, I believe on the table or hanging up where you can write your name down and write what you've collected so far so we can figure out what we need to purchase to make this event happen. So if you would be kind enough to count up your stuff and bring the total of each thing, I don't mean every single pencil, but you know what I mean, <laughs> so that we can um, start planning that event. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Okay, so this, uh, this next song we're going to do is called the, the, the potter's hand. But um, I happened to get a, a devotional from Billy Graham this morning, and it truly applies. Don't know how God did that, but. <laughs> uh, so this, this is Billy Graham, molding you. I have a friend who, this is Billy Graham. I have a friend who during the Depression lost his job, a fortune, a wife, and a home. But he tenaciously held to his faith the only thing he had left. One day he stopped to watch some men doing stonework on a huge church. One of them was chiseling a triangular piece of stone. What are you going to do with that? asked my friend. The workman said, see that little opening way up there? So I'm doing this down here so it, would fit, it will fit up there. Tears filled the eyes of my friend as he walked away for it seemed that God had spoken through the workman to explain his ordeal, which he was now going through. I'm shaping you down here so that you'll fit in up there. Amen. 
And thank you, Lord, for all the shaping in my life, which brings me closer to you. Amen. So now we're going to sing the potter's hand. <laughs> all right. We, we can all sing this. <laughs> this is for everybody. Sing uh, 
Come thou fount of every blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, a mountain To grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. And let thy grace, Lord, like a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amen. Love those old hymns. <laughs> okay, I'm, I meant to say that, uh, do all of you know what an Ebenezer is? <laughs> it's actually a little, a little stone, stone monument, uh, uh, was, um, the for, for, it's, it, it means the help of God. That it's like a little monument. That, so, so you're raising, you're raising the help of God. Uh, so, I'm going to try to sing this uh, uh, song. People need the Lord, and uh, is uh, it was done by Steve Green. Um, he actually did it at a bunch of uh, Billy Graham crusades in the late '90s, and uh, Steve Green. He was the son of missionaries, and kind of a side note, I just, I just learned that my bio-grandparents were missionaries in Bolivia. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the guys who wrote the song came to him, and, uh, you know, pictures hungry, hurting people who are unaware of the Christian message. And it resonated with him. Uh, and at, the, at that time... Uh, Steve Green, he had had a pretty significant turnaround in his life, and uh, it resonated with him for two reasons. First, because his parents had given their lives to evangelize, and their love for the people they were serving around the world was mortified, more motivated by Christ's love for them. Maybe they're mortified too. Uh, so that that was definitely one of the reasons 
why I gravitated to the song. The other reason, this is Steve Green, was that for the first time, I suppose, I was realizing that it isn't just those who never heard about the Lord who needed him. I knew that I was surrounded by people just like me who were living kind of an external, performance-based Christianity, but they had no light in their life. I started thinking of us as the elder brothers, those who never ran away from home but were just as lost as the prodigal. We're just as lost. So let me let me try to sing this song. <laughs> Thank you, John. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people. silent cries only Jesus hears people need the Lord people need the Lord at the end of broken dreams he's the open called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right what could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost through his love our hearts can feel all the grief they bear hear the words of life only we can share
Amen. Do you guys believe that? I sure hope so. Good morning, Tucson Mountain. I told Kathy over breakfast this morning, I don't know how this is going to go because I've only rewritten this five times this week. Really? I wanted to stay in Ephesians and, and concentrate on what we're doing, but I had numerous phone calls throughout the week at, at the end of last week and at the beginning of this week, and somebody asked me how my days went and how I prepared things, and I said, well, usually I start the following Sunday's message on Sunday afternoon after we go home and we take a break and then I start outlining next Sunday's message. <clears throat> and I got it all done, stay in Ephesians. And the next thing out of the gate, I get two phone calls in two days that tell me how distressed and in despair people are because of the stuff that's going on in the world. And we just heard it, Right? And then this week, I got three more phone calls similar to that. I'm going, okay, well, maybe I need to concentrate on something a little different. But so midway through the message, if it looks like it flips, it does. <laughs> so you're getting a twofer today, all right? That's, that's all I can tell you. Because I'd go back, and each time I'd get a phone call, I'd go back, and I'd take stuff out, and I'd throw it away, and I'd put other stuff in. So this is where we're at today. But as we've been looking at Ephesians and looking at these seven blessings of these highly elected people, which we are, you know, we've also been looking at our heavenly bank account. And I got to thinking about this heavenly bank account as we look at this today. And God chose you. God chose me to be holy and blameless. He's adopted us into his family. He's redeemed us and forgiven us. All these things we've talked about the last few weeks. And I have the guaranteed assurance by the Holy Spirit that we get to go to heaven. Praise God for that. And have eternal life. But you know what? I want to ask you guys, which one of those did you draw on most this week? Which one of those did you have to lean on the heaviest because of stuff that was going on in life? I want you to think about that a little bit. Paul tells us, that, that, there, that, that we can draw from that spiritual bank account. But how do we do that? Paul tells us how we can draw from that spiritual bank account. But that, that, the very first thing we have to do, of course, is pray. But it's a different kind of prayer than what we're accustomed to praying. And Paul's going to bring that out and tell us in a couple of different ways. This prayer teaches us basically how to have an eternal impact. And we just heard it in that song, people need the Lord. But it also reveals to us three essential qualities, three essential truths of developing a deeper relationship with Christ personally for us. So as we think about these things, I want to just plant some seeds in there. And as we talk about these things, I want you to open your mind and open your eyes and open your ears and really absorb what's being said today. We want to be a better servant. We want to be a better friend to Jesus. We want to be a better friend of Jesus. And we want to serve him in more, in more appropriate ways. Ephesians 1.17 says, Keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to under, underline, highlight, circle, wisdom and revelation. 
so that you may know him better. The very first thing we have to do is keep asking. We have to keep asking. Well, what does that mean exactly? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given. Keep knocking and the door shall be opened. The story talks about a judge that, that a woman in need went to and he ignored her. But the more she knocked, the more she knocked, the more she kept asking, he finally says, man, I got to answer the door because this one was not going away. How much more so if, if God can show us a story like that and he can say, you know, even if this hard-nosed, hard-headed, hard-hearted judge didn't want to respond to this woman and you kept asking, how much more so am I going to answer the prayer if you keep asking? But see here, there's a little thing about this we have to think about. If God knows what we need, why do we have to ask him more than once? And I got a question on your outline. It says, why do we have to ask him at all if he knows what we need? Well, it's pretty simple. I believe here's why. God is much more interested in what happens within us because of our prayers than what happens and what we receive because of our prayers. He's more interested in that change that Paul and the praise team told us about a moment ago. God's interested in changing us to become more and more like Christ each and every day. That should be part of our goal. Many times we think about the change that is taking place as we read God's word. And as we ask and we read God's word, it changes our prayers because we become more aware of what God wants and what God's way is and what God's will is. And he says, you know what? I'm changing your heart. I'm changing your desire. So we start changing our prayer a little bit. And our prayer becomes much more effective and efficient because it's a wiser prayer. And maybe we even ask for a completely different thing. But we always need to keep asking for wisdom and revelation so that we know him better. So we have to keep asking. And when we keep asking, that means we're staying connected to him. The second thing we need to do is that we need to practice clearly who we're praying to. Now think about this for a second. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, <clears throat> he told them to pray to our Father who art in heaven. We need to learn how to focus more on praying specifically and putting in our mind's eye, envisioning, if you would, the Father. Our God, the one that watches over us, protects us, and gives us all the blessings that we've been talking about, these heavenly blessings. He is the God of everything. He's the God of the universe. He's the God of the seas. He's the God of the earth. He's the God of every single thing that's here. God says in Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Just like he was the God of all those Old Testament saints, He's the God of us. And just like he took care of those Old Testament saints, he's going to take care of us. You know, when Jesus prayed, think about this. When Jesus prayed, God answered Jesus' prayers. And he answered them in miraculous ways. When he broke the bread and prayed over that bread and those few fish and started handing those out, he was able to feed 5,000 people plus. 
when he went to the grave of Lazarus and he called out Lazarus' name and says, Lazarus, come forth. God answered that prayer. God answers prayer. Listen, the same power that God gave Jesus, the same power that he gave those Old Testament saints is the same power that he gives us. But we have struggles with that. It doesn't make sense to us. It's hard for us to comprehend that the same power is there and it's available to us to draw from. Now, are we going to be able to raise people from the bed? No, probably not. But you know what? That same power is available. The third thing he says is I have to know what I'm praying for. You have to be specific. The Holy Spirit inspires us to pray for people to better know Christ. Listen, I believe with all my heart that the, the, the neatest thing I see in ministry is when God gets a hold to somebody that maybe has fallen away or maybe they're not a Christian at all and they, they, they start coming closer to God and they draw closer to God and God starts changing their heart. God starts changing their attitude. God starts changing their actions. But the saddest thing I see is when somebody comes along and somebody else, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a Sunday school teacher, maybe it's just a member of the congregation that has been working diligently, pouring their life into this individual, sharing things with them, encouraging them, strengthening them, and they turn around and they walk away from Christ. I think that's probably one of a pastor's deepest hurts. And here's, here's the real issue. I believe it's God's biggest hurts too. I think when God sees somebody that's changing their life and coming closer to God and drawing closer to God and becoming more Christ-like and becoming more like his son, he takes that and he's joyful and he's happy and he's, he's just loving it because he sees that person's life change. But when they go the other way and they turn around and they refuse to accept him and reject him, I think it breaks his heart. Most of the time, they will walk away from Christ because of a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, a personal pain that they're just not willing to share with Christ. Listen, it's God's will to teach us. It's God's will to allow us to become more like Christ. But he does that through challenges of life, like we said a moment ago. And we're going to see that in greater detail. You know, a lot of people talk to others about being saved. And we hear a lot about being saved. But we often, when we pray, we don't hear much prayer from one Christian to another Christian and say, Lord, I want you to grow me. I want you to strengthen me. I want you to encourage me. I want you to challenge me to grow and become more like your son. Or we don't pray for other Christians that way. Listen, here's the interesting thing I thought about this week. When we pray for the lost, we're praying for God to intervene in their life and touch their heart and draw them closer, which we should always pray for the lost. But when God, when we pray for another Christian, for God to challenge them and grow them and strengthen them, 
guess what? They get a double whammy. We're not only praying for, from the outside, but the Holy Spirit dwells within already. So guess what's going to take place within? The Holy Spirit's going to start working on the other side. So they're getting, they're getting comforted in prayer from the outside by us, and they're getting challenged on the inside by the Holy Spirit. Listen, most of the time when we pray, let's be realistic. We pray for our needs, our wants, our bad habits, our hurts, our hang-ups, our desires. We don't pray for God, grow me. God, strengthen me. We pray for things that we think we need. But the Bible also teaches us that we need to pray for personal growth and the growth of others. So how do we do that? How do we grow? Well, the very first thing, of course, we have to know him personally. When we know him personally, that's our salvation. We are saved from sin and Satan and self. We are saved from the penalty and the consequences of that sin. But there's a second thing that takes place. We have to know him increasingly. That means more. We have to know him more. That's our significance. We become significant when we start learning how to know Christ more. That's our sanctification. He sanctifies us and sets us apart so that we can gain that significance in our life to move into who he wants us to be and what he wants us to be. Have you ever thought about this? When, when, when people see someone else that's growing in Christ, it attracts other people. When people's lives are changed and they understand that and they see that and they think, what is going on with that person? I want to know. I want to understand. So that becomes one of the greatest evangelistic tools there is when we start to see changed people's lives within the body of Christ. The third thing to know him perfectly is glorification. We have to know him perfectly, though. But that glorification is not going to take place until it comes time for us to go home. It's not complete. But it's going to take place. One specific way to know Christ is for God's Spirit to give us insight. Personal insight. Isaiah 11.2 says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Listen, this is a six-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to us. That wisdom, that understanding, that counsel, that power, that knowledge that he gives us basically re- reveals to us what the fear of the Lord really is, that awe-inspiring component that is set before us by the Holy Spirit and God. Most prayers, think about this, focus on what we do not have. Lord, I'm tired. Give me strength. Lord, I'm out of money. Give me more. We pray, we typically pray from a sense of lack. What would happen if we turned around and we started praying for the things we already have that we're not using? What would happen if we changed our prayer life and said, Lord, you know what? Thank you for allowing me to get up this morning. 
Thank you for allowing me to have food on the table. Thank you for allowing me to have a semi-restful night's sleep. Yeah, I knew that would get some of you. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we need to pray for what we already have. God is always there to meet our needs. But in the book of James, it says we have not because we ask not. Listen, I think as long as you're worrying about something and you all, pretty much all of you sitting here know what the scripture says about worry, it doesn't add one inch to your stature. Here's the problem. When we, when we sit and we worry and we stew about stuff, what takes place is the situation is out of alignment with our Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And because of that, we can't see with the eyes of our heart. One of the things we need to do is say, Lord, I need to start depending on you. I need to stop depending on me, and I'm not, I need to start depending on you. When you do that, you begin to realize that God can take care of those issues way better than you ever could. But we have to rely on him, and we have to stop worrying about stuff. Worry is not going to do anything for you except make you sick. There's three ways to focus your prayers in this and to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Verse 18, back to Ephesians, says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Underline, highlight, know the hope. Know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Listen, it's like a spiritual eye chart. Think about it this way. How many of you had checked your spiritual eyesight recently? That's the question. That's the question you need to think about this morning. When is the last time we really checked our spiritual eyesight? Listen, when we start looking at the spiritual eyesight, it helps us do three things. Number one, it helps me ask questions. Am I seeing things from my point of view? Am I seeing things from the world's point of view? Or am I seeing things from God's point of view? But we can only look at things and see things from God's point of view when we open the eyes of our heart. That's not easy. Second Kings, I think the best story to, for an example of this is in Second Kings 6, 13 through 17. It's one of the clearest examples with Elijah. Elijah and his friends are surrounded by a vast army. And they're closing in. Here's what the king says, go out and find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is at Dathan. Then, sent the, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. You think he was a little shook up? He only saw the disastrous situation at hand. He only saw that they were completely surrounded. Look at Elijah's response. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elijah prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw 
the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. We have that same protection. We have that same power that's being drawn upon to watch over us. Sometimes we feel like we're surrounded by difficult circumstances. Sometimes we feel like we're surrounded by disagreeable people. Maybe there are people that don't even have the same exact values as we do. But you know what? God's with us. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed by the stuff that's going on in the world. And here's the problem. If we keep our eyes focused on the world, we're going to get bogged down. God often does some amazing things in our life when we learn to lean and depend on him rather than our own resources and our own mindsets. And he usually does it from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit. What we have today is much better than what the believers in the Old Testament had because we have the, holy power, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. They only got the Holy Spirit as they had to have it. We've got it all the time. But God gave them that Holy Spirit. God showed that servant what he needed to see so that he could have confidence and he could make sure that he had hope. That's what he does with us. Dumb question. Do you ever feel like you're in a spiritual desert? We live in the desert. We know what the desert is like. I read an article the other day that said, people in Arizona and Nevada, you've got to watch what you read on the internet, right? People in Arizona and Nevada are afraid to go outside because of the heat. I'm going, who writes this stuff? Listen, when you're in a spiritual desert like we are sometimes, you need to ask God to show you the living water so you can quench that thirst and get out of that spiritual desert. We don't have to live there. We have to be in a spiritual place in a non-spiritual world. And sometimes that's a challenge, I know. But that's what keeps us growing. That's what keeps us going. You know, in the Old Testament times, when they talked about opening the eyes of your heart, the heart was the seat of your emotion. The heart was where your thinking came about, your will came about, your decisions were made, your determination of how to think and how to look at life were all in your heart. It's the same for us today in actuality. The eyes of our heart set the directions of our lives. What we see determines what we do. If you're walking down the street, you're strolling down the sidewalk, and all of a sudden he chucks a rock at you, you're going to move to get out of the way. The reality of what we see and what we live in is what we do. But here's the problem, I think. The world we live in is a lot like virtual reality. It's only temporary. There's a lot more to it than what we see. Listen, God's life and God's love for us is way more real than the world we live in. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart can be enlightened. So you may look past all this junk, all this stuff that worries you, all these things that bog you down. 
We need to learn to develop that spiritual sense of sight by opening our hearts. In Matthew 13, 13, Jesus is speaking to, about the Pharisees and to the Pharisees and the people that rejected him. He worked all these miracles, you know, if we think about it, and he brought, all the, he brought people back from the dead. He did all the healing of certain people, and he did all these things, but yet they rejected him. And he says this, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. They only saw what they wanted to see. We never do that, right? Their eyes of their hearts were closed. The eyes of their hearts were not open to see the redemption, the salvation, the protection that Christ offers us. Listen, the more we look with the spiritual eyesight, the better our vision gets. He says there's three things. A is the hope of his calling. There's three types of hope we need to look for. Paul's prayer is for some specific things here. There's all kinds of voices out here saying, you know, you're not good enough. You failed at this. You failed at that. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? But you know what? There's only one we should be listening to. We need to learn to live for that audience of one. There's not a lot of security in this world. I admit that. But you know what? We're not of this world anymore. You must look to God's hope to erase all this doubt that's in our minds, all this fear and trepidation we face. There is everlasting security in God's love. Listen, I'm going to read sections of Romans 8 to you. And I, I, I don't want you looking around. I don't want you doing anything. Just listen for a few minutes at these particular passages. And I'm jumping all over. So you're going to find it hard to keep up. If you're going to pull it up on your app on your phone or, or turn to Romans 8 and look at it, it's going to be hard to keep up. So just, you're better off just listening. Therefore now... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has set you free from the law of sin and death. He condemned sin in the flesh. But the mind governed by the spirit has life and peace. If Christ is in you, the spirit lives because of righteousness. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. For those who are led by the spirit are God, of God are the children of God. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We are sons and daughters of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, there it is, we're going to share in his sufferings. He warns us, he tells us, in order that we may also share in his glory. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait. I've had at least a handful of people tell me this week they don't like to wait for anything. (laughs) 
but we wait. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word again. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's us, guys. That's you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns? And right after that, it says no one. Stop listening to those voices in the world that say you're condemned for something. You're forgiven. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, is the next word. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God for that. Listen, our hope comes from God's promises, but you've got to know God's promises to understand the hope. If you're not reading your Bible on a regular basis, get into it. You need that support. You need that strength. You need that encouragement on a daily basis. I don't care what kind of diet you're on. You wouldn't go too long without eating something. (laughs) Eat of God's word. Listen, if all you have is this world and all you're looking at is this world, you're going to be despondent. You're either going to live live in denial or you're going to live in despair. One of two places. And neither one of them are fun. Listen, people who live in denial say everything in this world is okay. It's good. Akuna Matata. (laughs) Don't buy it. Whatever they're selling, don't buy it. There are evil, mean, hurtful, spirited people in this world. And they will take advantage of us. They will take advantage of you as a Christian. They'll take advantage if you're not a Christian, you're just a good-natured person. No matter how much we insulate ourselves from this, we cannot avoid it. We need a source of hope. You need a source of hope that's outside, beyond, above this world. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. That hope is in God Almighty. Then you have other people look around and say, yeah, this is a pretty bad place we're living in. I have to admit that. But you know what? They constantly live in despair. It's a woe, poor me mindset. It's the world is out to get me. Well, I don't know how to tell you this, guys, but the honest truth is the world is out to get us. 
as Christians, there's going to be days that things are difficult. Things are hard. But you know what? It rains on the just and the unjust. It's just as hard on some of those folks that aren't Christians. That's why we sang the song, People Need the Lord. But we are different. As Christians, we live a life that's filled, overflowing with the love of Christ, with the protection of Christ, with the Holy Spirit, because he dwells in us. We have the hope of salvation. We're saved from our sins. We can have a personal relationship with him. We, lay our, we can lay our worries at his feet and leave them there, but we often don't because we go pick them up again. We're free to use the spiritual gift that God has given us to serve others. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit to live by. That fruit of the Spirit helps us have the joy, peace that passes all understanding. It helps us gain that patience, that perseverance, that character, and that hope that we need. That's who we can be as believers. Scripture tells us that. Listen, there's no excuse, there's no reason that we as a Christian, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a self-proclaiming Christian, there's no excuse, no reason why you're living without hope. But if you only look at this world, your only thing you're going to see is the problems because that's all that's out there. And you're going to believe there's no hope because that's what the world is selling. But when we set our eyes on Christ and God opens our spiritual eyes and opens the eyes of our heart and we gaze upon Christ rather than the world, we have hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope fills you, and hope overflows from us. Listen, we have security in Christ that the world doesn't have. We always have a purpose. We always have a hope. When the rest of the world doesn't have a purpose and they run around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off and you have the mindset to know Christ is in charge and Christ is going to watch over you and Christ is going to provide for you, then it doesn't rattle your cage like it does everybody else. Overflowing with hope doesn't mean you paint on a plastic smile though. Everything's good. It's okay. Nope, you're living in denial again. Sometimes there's tough days for us. I understand that. But with hope, we always have the future to look forward to. We always know what God is preparing for us. God is preparing a better place for us. This is not our home. Listen. God is with us, Emmanuel. He is with us all the time once you accept him as Christ. God's promises are always worked. They manifest themselves in our life when we start having 20-20 heart vision for him. 
He's going to be developing that for the rest of our lives. As we mature in Christ, our spiritual vision gets better. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, how does God work this way, hope into our lives? Guess what? He sends us problems. He does. He allows problems to come in our life. Look at what Romans 5, 3, and 4 says. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, some of you don't rejoice in your sufferings very much. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Listen, when I'm struggling and suffering, the world does not answer, have the answers that I need. But Jesus does. The world doesn't. But when I look to God for those answers and I start to cling to him, and I start to open the eyes of my heart and look at him and focus on him, then the rest of the stuff dissipates. But we have to keep asking. God says this is how the process works. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not a real fan of this process. <laughs> but it's God's process, and it's the way it works. It's sort of like an assembly line. Think about this. First, you have suffering and problems. Then second, you go to the next station, and you, and you obtain a little patience. And then the third thing is the Holy Spirit installs some character in you. We all need that, right? And as he begins to develop that new kind of character in our life, then it produces a new kind of hope. And he says that's how the process works in our lives. He has to produce within us that character and that hope. And the only way he, we can do that is by a supply of problems. Listen, you cannot have an inner peace of sen a sense of hope and peace and joy internally without having some external problems come your way. Now, we don't want to invite those problems, right? God allowed plenty of those into our life just at the right time to help us move us along. But we need to remember something. This is to produce more of spiritual growth in our life. And when I learn to see these things through the eyes of my heart, my spiritual heart, that means God is moving me forward in my process to become perfected for the time that we get to go to heaven. He's perfecting us. Sometimes we feel, Lord, you, the problems are destroying me. What are you doing to me? I'm overwhelmed. I can't take it anymore. But you know what? Lord says, yes, you can take it because I'm with you. You're not in this alone. You're not by yourself. Spiritual growth means that I'm, I move from thinking my problems are destroying me to understanding and realizing that the problems that God allows into my life are developing me to be this, 
like the Son of God. But we don't like that development sometimes. Listen, only God can do that. Some of the most hope-filled people, if you go back and you look at Christian history, some of the most hope-filled people were those people that were facing death because of their faith. They went to the cross singing. They went to the lion's den, praising and singing hymns. You'd expect them to be the most frightened, but they weren't. Rather than being overwhelmed, they were overflowing with hope. Their lives were a constant problem, but they gave their problems to Christ to take care of, and they left them there. We see it every time we see some of these things from foreign countries that all these things, all these individuals are facing persecution for their faith. We see how that process is really produced in them. We have to remember this world is not all there is. God is preparing us for something better and he's preparing something much better for us. We need to pray God help us see and help open the eyes of our heart so that we understand your calling. B is we have to see the riches of God's inheritance. We are God's inheritance. Now get this for a second. If I say I've got an inheritance in the bank, you know I've got inheritance in the bank and you know where it's located. But when God says that we are his inheritance, we need to understand his inheritance is in us, the saints. God owns the cattle on all the hills. God owns the stars in the universe. He owns the universe. He owns everything there is. But you know, there was one thing that he didn't take to own and control, and that was our will, and that was our opportunity to choose to accept him or not. That's the one thing he didn't maintain control of. He could have made us all like robots, I guess. But he didn't. We can't go through life saying, poor me. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. Because God says, you are my richest inheritance. As a child of God, we are watched over and cared for by him. God looks at us and says, that child of mine, he makes me, she makes me rich. We are the crown of his creation. Somebody comes along and says, well, you're not worth anything. You're not valuable. Don't you believe it? God says, not true. Don't let the world tell you anything different. If you're a child of God and you profess to be a child of God, you are the most valuable thing in his eye. Number three, or C, to see the power available to us as God's children. Sometimes we don't always see that. Sometimes we don't always understand it. But Ephesians 1.19 says it this way, first part, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. 
He has unbelievable power for us. Paul identifies four Greek words in that simple little statement there. And, and dunamis is where we get our word dynamo or dynamite from. And energia is where we get our word energy from. That's pretty obvious. But kratos is where we get the word mighty from the Greek. And ishkas means power or greatness. And we need to understand that, that God has incomparable power in our life to watch over, protect us, and to move us to where he wants us to be. Second part of 19 and following. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. Now, he says, you know what? I'm saying this now, and it's taking place right now, but it's not just for now. It's for in the age to come. Guess who's living in the age to come, folks? We are. We're living in that age to come. That power is like the working of God's mighty spirit in our lives. The same strength, the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the grave, he uses to maintain us and take care of us and watch over us and protect us and provide for us. He says, just simply open the eyes of your heart and you'll see it. The power that's in Christ is in us. He gives that to us. Scripture says that. The power is not obvious to all of us. We don't use it the same way Jesus used it. It's spiritual power. It's spiritual power that can impact the lives of other people. But we have to put it into practice. We have to be willing to open our mouths and say, you know what? You need Jesus. You need something that I can show you the way to. Here's the thing. When you speak to someone and you realize they have a physical or spiritual or even a mental need, and you try to help that person meet that need, maybe you take them to someone else that can help them make, meet that need. Maybe you bring them to church because you know they have that need. You're making a spiritual impact. You're changing their life forever. And let me tell you something. <laughs> That's God's power at work in you. And if that person comes to know Christ, then you have made a spiritual impact, an eternal spiritual impact. Because that is going to make more of an impact than any law or legislation or, or anything like that. They can make a difference. There's no government, no law or legislation that's going to make the same difference as a spiritual life-changing impact. We need to remember that. It says Jesus is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Those four words represent strength and power and energy and mighty greatness. That's who our Lord is. That's what our Lord has to offer. Our Lord has all those attributes. We are following a leader not only from the past, but in the present, but in the future. Where should all this power be seen? Where should all this be exemplified? Right here. Through every one of us. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. 
Look at what 22 and 23 says. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Listen, he has all those attributes. He has all those abilities. He has everything that he's shown us. We need to show those same things to the world outside. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to do, be and participate in the great commission, in the great commandment, to love the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to show others the way to the Lord. So let me close with this. How's your spiritual vision today? Are you a little nearsighted? Are you looking more at yourself and your circumstances than you are the Lord? Maybe you're a little farsighted. You can only see those blessings that we've talked about for the last few weeks and all the things in these in the, the, the seven blessings that we've covered. Maybe you only see those as far away, off in the future somewhere. Or maybe you're a little short-sighted. You just can't see how God is going to work any of this in your life. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can. And you do. You have the opportunity. Listen, as soon as we begin to live in the power that Christ has placed within us and surrounded us with, the sooner we open the eyes of our hearts, the sooner we're going to be able to serve him the way we need to. Think about this last part. When Jesus came to Peter and the disciples in the boat and they were crying out, Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He says, oh, come on. And Peter's, Peter's man, Peter's got a focus on him. He's dead set. He's looking straight at him. And he starts walking in the water. But at the minute he gets out of the boat, two or three steps, he starts looking around and looking at all the problems and looking at the world. And it's like, I can't do this. I shouldn't be able to do this. What happened? He started to sink. It's the same way with us. We have to keep our focus and the eyes of our heart on Jesus. Or else this world is going to distract us. And what we see as destruction he used. He uses in our life to develop our lives, to become more like the Son of God. Let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, what, what can we say other than we want to become more like your Son? Father, I pray that this body of believers will become more and more Christ-like in their actions and their attitudes and in the way we serve one another and the way we serve those outside. We have such blessings that come from you, Lord. Sometimes we forget those. We don't mean to neglect those things, but we do. Father, I pray that you'd open the eyes of every single person's heart that's here and that you'd allow us to see what we need to see to move forward in our relationship with you, to grow us stronger, to draw us closer, and to make us more and more like your son each and every day. Now, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior, maybe they'd like to. 
but they've never really been explained to how to do that. Father, we offer that opportunity to them today. We'd like to show them the way to become your son or your daughter. And maybe there's those that have made that decision, but maybe they've never made them public or they've never come to be baptized the same way you were baptized, through immersion. Father, we offer that opportunity too. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has maybe been sitting on that fence, sometimes that's an uncomfortable place to be in any of the areas that we're talking. I pray, Lord, that you would move them and encourage them and strengthen them and open the eyes of their heart and let them see what they need to do today. But if there's anyone here that maybe been coming for quite a while and, and they believe that this is where God wants them to be part of this church family, that they would also come today. Father, whatever your will is, whatever your way is this morning in people's lives, I pray that you would just encourage them and strengthen them to do what they need to do this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please. I hear the Savior say Strange. 
just watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Mind you, um, teachers, I want you to listen very carefully. On the 27th of this month, we're going to be having a State of the Church address, if you would. It's going to be a mini business meeting, I hope. Because <coughs> you know what happens at business meetings, sometimes they can get out of hand. Um, but we want, to, we want to address the church and tell you where we're at financially, where we're at structurally, and what we have been able to accomplish over the last two and a half years in facilities and maintenance and management and things like that. And, and I want to give you guys a, a, a little heads up. If you drive by this week, um, pray to God. The electrician's supposed to come tomorrow and start putting in the electric and digging the trench for the sign. The sign is here. The foundation should be poured Tuesday. The sign should be, hopefully be up by Friday. So be praying for that. Um, but also we, wanna, we want all ministry leaders, um, please prepare a paragraph or two for your particular ministries as far as what has been taking place in your ministry just for the last six months. Uh, we want to know where we stand there. And, but we want to tell you financially where we're at, and we have to talk about some repairs that need to be done. We have to take a vote on that. So we'd like everyone that can be here to be here on the 27th, and it'll be right after this service, this time, this service time on the 27th of this month, because we have to map that out, and we have to get your approval to spend some money, because we have to spend some money to fix some things, big things, okay, like the parking lot. All right, so be praying about that, and we hope to see you then. Thank you all for coming this morning. No Sunday school that day, yes. That, that's point blank. No Sunday school that day, yes. Yes. All right, teachers, you get that? No Sunday school on the 27th. All right, thank you very much. Let's hear the last song. All right, let's uh, end our singing with a Glorious Day. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, 
One day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin. Dwelt among men, my example is he. The Word became flesh and the light shined among us. His glory revealed. Living he loved me and dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. And rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. And one day they led him up Calvary's mountain. And one day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He. The hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, oh, glorious day, oh, glorious day, oh, glorious day, oh, glorious day. Amen. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Some glad morning when this life is sore, I fly away to 